Hello, survivalists. Welcome to another great week of The Crux. I'm your host, Tessa King, and I am joined today by surprise, Casey McIntosh. Wow, I never expected that to be the thing that we're hearing. <laughs> what What didn't you think? That you're the surprise guest. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. Surprise! I know, I was surprised. <laughs> today, we will be talking about Tony Streather. Tony Streather was 31 when he was invited by the Oxford Mountaineering Club to lead an expedition up Mount Haramosh in Pakistan in the 1950s. The team would face unknown routes, harsh weather, and one unfortunate tragedy. Do you recognize the name Tony Streather? No, but it sounds like a good radio name. Well, you should, because we briefly talked about him in our recent episode about the 1953 American expedition of K2. Oh, yes. I'll give you a little review of that if you don't remember. Yes, please. During this expedition, Streather had been roped to his seven companions when one of the men slipped, causing the group to slide rapidly toward an almost certain death. If it hadn't been for the quick thinking of the last member of the group, who self-arrested using an ice axe. And they were all hanging there. Yes. On his ice axe. Yes, all seven of them. Crazy. That's a terrifying moment right there. Yeah, so you might have remembered that that expedition was the Americans, but Tony Streather was the one British companion in that climb because of his abundance of knowledge of the area. And that's kind of how he got roped into the second climb. No pun intended. Yes. No pun intended. So Tony was born in London. He joined the Home Guard as a teenager, which is kind of like a citizen militia. And that was during World War II. After the war, he joined the British Indian Army and trained for combat in the jungles of Myanmar. He led a lot of expeditions taking soldiers up the mountains. And that's when his love for mountaineering began. Cool. And just in his experience in the service, he ended up spending a lot of time in Pakistan. He spoke the language, which is why he was recruited by the American team to climb K2. Oh, interesting. It's because of his local knowledge. So not so random that they had a Brit on their climb. Yeah, that makes sense. The University of Oxford Mountaineering Club set out to climb Mount Haramosh in 1957. At the time, it was an unscaled peak. This is also in Pakistan. The expedition would be led by Tony Streather, who was then 31, and at the time, the oldest of the group. He had already had a lot of climbing experience at this point. He had been on the K2 expedition, as well as part of the 1955 climb up Kanchanjunga. <laughs> Sorry if I butchered that. He was the first person ever to climb two peaks over... 7,600 meters. I guess that was a big deal. <laughs> also on the climb, he would be joined by student Bernard Juliet, the president of the climbing club, John Emery, Ray Colbert, who is from New Zealand, and Scott Hamilton from the U.S. And these are just all men from Oxford, hence the diversity. <laughs> Haramosh has two high points, um, Haramosh 2 and Haramosh 1. 
So respectively, they're 21,000 feet and about 24,000 feet. And they're doing both? Yeah. I mean, it's one mountain, but oh, okay. those are the high points. <clears throat> gotcha. And there are four camps until Haramosh 2. They arrived in July and met with their six Hunza porters. They would be carrying their food and gear to the camps. Three of the porters were very experienced climbers, and the other three were younger and warier about the climb. Can you um, just pause for a second and remind me what the elevation of K2 is? Do you K2 is 28,000 feet. Okay. I was just trying to get some perspective. Yeah. So in comparison, K2 is 28,000 feet. And you said the sec- the highest point on this was 24,000. Gotcha. Yes. The route finding was very difficult due to bad weather. It was constantly snowing, and the route was littered with crevasses, and it featured a very dangerous glacier as well. What time of year did you say they were doing this? Started in July. July. Sorry. The climbers would spend a month and a half exploring the mountain in various routes. They had regular weather predictions via radio, but the weather remained poor during that time. That's a long time to be out trying to climb one mountain. I guess I guess it's common for these big mountains, but... And especially because it had been unscaled, they were unsure of what route to take and how they would get there. Uh-huh. So their main goal is exploration, seeing what there is to see how to get up. Yeah. By September 15th, the team woke up to fair weather and clear conditions which allowed them to ascend higher on the mountain than they had previously been able to. They were at Camp 4, so they were just below Haramosh 2. Streeler reached the crest of the ridge line first. The view was breathtaking. They knew they had no chance of completing the route. There was still a vast distance between them and the highest point of the mountain. The team, however, was in good spirits as their main objective had been to explore the mountain itself. Mm -hmm. Prior to leaving this point, Gillette wanted to climb a little higher to see the surroundings a little better of the valley below. Emery joined him. Below, Streeler and Colbert stayed on the crest and took photos. As the first two men go up, there's a sudden explosion as the snow under Gillette and Emery's feet began to move. The two climbers above slid down the slope and fell into a snow basin 300 meters below. Oh my gosh, that is a yeah. long way to travel. It is a long way. And just to like get just a higher vantage point to see what's what's out there. I mean, it doesn't seem like that crazy of a move. They was this like their last day out or Yes. Yeah, Why? they ran out of time. Oh my they gosh. ran out of time on their expedition. So they got to this high point and they're like, time to go back down the mountain. Oh, brutal. Yes. So Gillette and Emery were alive and able to free themselves from the debris. But that wasn't the worst of their worries. They were still trapped and surrounded by ice and snow. Not only that, they had lost their ice axes in the fall. Gillette had lost a glove and Emery both gloves. That's not a good thing to lose. Yeah, Emery had also suffered a hip dislocation. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Streether and Colbert did what they could. They packed a bag full of supplies for the men below. But when they tried to deliver the pack by throwing it 
down to them, the backpack fell into a different crevasse. Wow. So they couldn't even get the supplies to them. So they're kind of short on time now. Struther and Colbert decide that it would be better to attempt to climb down to the fallen teammates. They began on September 16th, a day after the fall, and it was a near vertical descent. After a long morning, the two reached Gillette and Emery. In the process of descending, Strether had lost his ice axe, and Colbert had lost one of his crampons. The four men faced a daunting climb out of their snowy surroundings. So the four roped together and began to clump up the basin. Plus, the one with this dislocated hip probably only has the use of one leg. Yeah, we have one ice axe, one guy without both crampons, and one guy who has a dislocated hip. And a lot of them are missing mittens at this point. So as they're headed up, Colbert slips and falls, which drug the other three back <gasps> down to the bottom of the basin. No. So a second attempt. It seemed like it was going much better. Streather reached the beginning of the traverse, almost out, but this time Gillette slipped suddenly. Once again, the group falls to the bottom of the snow basin. So twice they've fallen all the way down, roped together. And now the men have really have themselves in a bind because in this move, they lost their final ice axe. Oh my gosh. So this day is a bust. The group huddles together for the night, tries to keep warm. Colbert and Emery were beginning to suffer from frostbite, and Gillette was delirious. By the morning, the group had been out for two days, and they hadn't had anything to eat or drink. This is sounding super ominous. Yes. Just wait. <laughs> There's more. At this point, Struther decides that they should try to climb out of the basin without a rope. Emery leads this time and was able to retrieve an ice axe from the wall as they reached the traverse. Emery, Gillette, and Streather made it up and out, but Colbert was struggling without the use of both crampons. Streather climbed back to Colbert and attempted to rescue him using the rope, so roping them together. But Colbert slips again while roped, and this time Colbert and Streather <laughs> slide back into the basin. Ah! I, it's just very frustrating to listen to, isn't it? <laughs> so now the roles have reversed because originally it was Gillette and Emery who were at the bottom and Streeler and Colbert were at the top and now topsy-turvy. <laughs> Gillette and Emery are now at the top of the basin. But they're extremely dehydrated, sick, and suffering from pretty severe frostbite. So they're not in really any condition to go back and aid Streeler and Colbert. Instead, they decide to return to Camp 4, which is the last camp once again before the ridgeline. They knew that this location would have food and water, so the plan was to eat and rest between coming back and aiding these men. Mm -hmm. Gillette was moving pretty fast towards camp, but Emery was struggling to keep up with his pace. Okay, so they're headed back to Camp 4. Gillette is moving. Emery is not moving very well. In the journey down the mountain, Emery stumbles and falls into an open crevasse. He's knocked unconscious and doesn't wake up until the following morning with the dawn. And how is he still alive? I, this is a good question. 
So obviously he's trying to find his way out. And as he's trying to get out of the crevasse, he finds Gillette's footsteps. He realizes that Gillette must have fallen, but managed to get out. So Emery begins to follow the footsteps and they, he follows them until the footsteps suddenly vanish. And it's with horror he realizes that Gillette had not gotten out of the crevasse. Rather, he had fallen further, likely to his death, about 2,000 meters. Then whose footsteps were those footsteps? Like he no, climbed out and then fell? No, he followed the footsteps thinking that was the way out. And then it just went into nothing. Oh, I see. So it was probably dark or something? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like there was light just because the account says that he woke up with the dawn. Uh-huh. So maybe there's some sort of light in the crevasse, but... In any case, he thought that was the way out, and then he realized that it was way deeper. So Emery manages to get out and stumbles into Camp 4, but his frostbite is so severe he can't perform basic acts. He can't take off his crampons or boots. He cannot make himself a drink or even get into his tent. And just out of exhaustion, he he collapsed in front of his tent. So he made it to camp, and that was that. Meanwhile, Streather and Colbert continue to get out of the snow basin, or they try to. Streather once again gets to the top. Colbert once again falls back in. And at this point, he severely injures his hip and is unable to move. So Streather has no choice but to leave him there, hoping that he can also come back. Streather finds Emery back at Camp 4. They both want to save Colbert, but neither of them have use of their hands due to severe frostbite, and they were still terribly dehydrated. Together, they make the tough decision to descend to Camp 3, where they meet up once again with another team member, Hamilton, who had been worried when his team had not returned for days on end. And that's essentially our story. John Emery lost all of his toes and the tips of his fingers. He managed to qualify as a doctor in 1959 and returned to alpine climbing in 1960. In 1963, he was climbing um, the Weisshorn in Switzerland when he was caught in a lightning storm, which caused a fall, which then led to his death. I don't, why do these people go back? <laughs> I, I do know. not understand. Well, even Streather, you know, after the one guy in the K2 party got blood clots in his legs and he died on the mountain and they almost all died and here he is climbing in Pakistan again. It's almost like a drug where you're like, I know I could die, but I don't care. I love it so much. It's crazy. So after this incident, um, Streather continued with his military career and rose to the rank of lieutenant colonel. He successfully led an expedition at Mount Everest with the Army Mountaineering Association in 1976. And Streather himself died in 2018 at the age of 92. Oh, wow. So he lived a good long life. Yeah. Did he have any significant injuries or frostbite from that? I didn't catch it from any of these articles I was reading. Uh, I, not that I saw. You can find interviews with Streather on YouTube. Oh, that's cool. He's not at all like my mental imaginings. What was, what was he like? I don't Describe. know. He's got a mustache and a big nose, and <laughs> he kept all his hair. This interview I think I saw was like 2015. So that's cool. He looked good for his age, so I'm glad that he lived into a ripe old age. But it's pretty crazy for him to go 
on a trip like this and lose almost everyone. And then the one guy who survives with him ends up dying in a mountaineering accident. Such a bummer. It is. It is a bummer. So that guy that you were talking about before that fell down again and Streether left him, mm-hmm. did he just die? Cool. Yeah, he just died. They were like, there was well, nothing they bad. could do about it. Yeah. I mean, they were in such bad shape, and there were only five guys besides their porters on the trip. But you said there was a guy at Camp 3. Yeah, so he would have been the only able-bodied man to go and he up was there. just like, I'm not risking it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Casey, this is the <laughs> 1950s. I, I mean, do not have many resources. I'm just, I'm just curious. I was just wondering. I'm thinking yeah. about him, you know. Yeah. I'm not trying to grill you. I was just curious. I don't know everything. Oh, come on. (laughs) I mean, I did enjoy that this had a connection to our other story. Yeah. um, With Charles Houston and the K2 expedition. It's really interesting to hear all of these accounts of these guys going to mountains that had never been summited before with probably terrible gear and no experience. Yeah. On the topic of gear, what I would really love to see you should do this, Tessa, is um, some photos of the old mountaineering gear next to the photos of current mountaineering equipment. It would just be interesting to see how much changes have been made. Just in terms of materials that can keep you warm, it's night and day. Right. Because before they only had wool, which does help keep you warm, but it's Mm -hmm. not like, well, I guess they probably used down. Yeah, they probably had the use of down back then. But I bet the boots are what have made... Boots, and probably like, like waters, waterproofing technology is better. I bet. Oh yeah, for sure. Do you think they had Gore-Tex back then? No. <laughs> <laughs> I know they didn't have Gore-Tex back then. Yeah, I mean the K two story tickled me a little bit because those guys were sponsored by Eddie Bauer. Yeah. So Eddie Bauer had made their jackets and whatnot. Uh-huh. So that's cool. Weird to think about that now. I know. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Anyway, that's my story. Well, guys, thanks for hanging with us. We will chat with you next week. Yeah. Until then, stay alive. If you have any positive commentary, please leave us a nice message on the Apple reviews or send us a message to our email, thecruxrevival at gmail.com. Have a great week. Hey, bye. Bye. Bye.